when our kids were little, we used to read them stories out of this beginner's Bible. Now, we are right now in a series on the book of Judges, and a lot of the stories that you find in the book of Judges, you, you find them here in the children's Bible. For example, today we're going to be talking about Gideon. Gideon's right here in the beginner's Bible. Here's how the beginner's Bible treats this story. God's people kept disobeying his rules, so God allowed their enemies to take all their food away. Again, the Israelites turned to God for help, and again, God answered their prayers. God chose a man named Gideon to help his people. God sent an angel to Gideon. You are a mighty warrior, said the angel. You will save God's people, Gideon said. Well, no, that's what the angel said. And Gideon said, but I'm from a family that isn't rich or important. And there's great pictures right there to go along with the story. All right, the story continues on. Then Gideon prayed to God, I need a sign from you. I will put some wool on the floor. Tomorrow, if the wool is wet and the ground is dry, I will believe you. The next morning, the wool was wet and the ground was dry. But Gideon wanted another sign. He said, God, now if the wool is dry and the ground is wet, I will be sure that you have chosen me. The next morning, God made the wool dry and the ground wet. Now Gideon was sure. He said, God, I will do whatever you say. Over 30,000 men wanted to join Gideon's army. That is too many, Gideon said. He showed Gideon how to win with only 300 men. The plan sounded strange, but Gideon trusted God. During the night, Gideon and his men surrounded the enemy camp. They blew trumpets and smashed clay jars. They waved burning torches in the air. Their enemies were frightened. This must be a huge army, they thought. So they ran away and God's people won. That's the Gideon story that you find in the Beginner's Bible. And if you're taking notes, here's something that I invite you to write down. The Beginner's Bible is great for beginners. There's a lot more in the book of Judges than this kid-friendly version of the Gideon narrative. In fact, if you got kids or grandkids, what we are going to suggest, strongly suggest during the course of this series is that you screen each of these messages first because we are going into PG-13 content here during this series. In fact, just as we look at the epilogue to the Gideon story today, here's some of the things we're going to see. We're going to see that 70 of Gideon's sons are executed on the same stone on the same day by another of Gideon's sons who was born through a concubine. That same son burns a thousand people alive and a curse from the evil son's half-brother is fulfilled when the evil son's skull is cursed. <laughs> Not here in the beginner's Bible. And that's very appropriate for a Bible that's designed for kids. So what we're going to do now is we're going to turn to the actual account together. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 9 verses 1 through 2. And if you don't have a Bible at home, there's a great online version that you can get. It's called the version. Just go to uversion.com and download that free app. It's great. All right, here we go. Genesis, or sorry, Judges chapter 9. Let's go with verse 1. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Sheshem. All right, I'm going to pause right here and unpack this a little bit to talk about who these people were. Both of these individuals are individuals who were introduced in chapter 8 during the Gideon narrative. In fact, Jerubal is Gideon. Jerubal is kind of a nickname that Gideon got. When Gideon took these, this idol of, to Baal and he tore the thing down, they gave him a, a nickname, uh, Jerubal, which means roughly Baal fighter. Well, after defeating the Midnights, like we read about in the, children, the Beginner's Bible, 
the people, they wanted to make that Baal fighter king. They wanted to make him king. Now, we're going to come back to chapter 9. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. But we've got to give you the backstory. So let's back up a little bit. Let's go to Judges chapter 8 and uh, look at verses 22 through 23. So after Gideon wins the battle that we read about the beginner's Bible, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you've saved us from the hand of Midian. Well, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. That sounds great, doesn't it? What an awesome leader. What a man of integrity. He says, hey, I'm not going to rule over you. My son's not going to rule over you. God's the one that gave me the victory. And so let's follow God's rule. Well, Gideon said those great things. But how many of you know that what people say and what people do are often two very different things? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. Gideon said he didn't want to be the king. But what does he do right after this? He starts doing the kinds of things that kings do and not the good kings. When the Midianites were defeated, Gideon took royal treasures that had been under the ownership of those kings. He took them for himself. He also requested that everybody give him a portion of the plunder that they collected. And what did he do with this treasure? One of the things he did with this treasure is he created this golden garment which may not be all that bad, except this golden garment, the word that's used for it here in Judges, is the same word that's used for a garment that God instructed only the high priest to have and wear. A very special garment that was supposed to be worn in this tabernacle where God's presence was. So when Gideon created that golden garment, he also was setting up his hometown as a rival place of worship. All right, in addition to this, Gideon has multiple wives and he fathers 70 sons through them. But the son that we just read about, the son in chapter 9, verse 1, Abimelech, he wasn't one of those 70 sons. Gideon also had a concubine in a city called Sheshem and she was Abimelech's mother. Okay, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? What does that have to do with Gideon says, I'm going to be a king or I'm not going to be your king and my son's not going to be your king. Listen to this. The name Abimelech means my father is king. So mister, I'm not going to be your king. My son's not going to be your king. Names his kid. My dad's the king. By the time Gideon dies, people have already begun worshiping that golden robe that he made, that golden um, garment, and Gideon doesn't stop them. So he's got a son that's named My father's king. People are worshiping a golden garment that he made. Things are not tracking the way that you would expect someone who says, let God rule over you to track. Not long after Gideon dies, that son whose name means my father is king, he does the very thing that Gideon promised wouldn't happen. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down too. The book of Judges reminds us that nothing affects everything like leadership. It is so important to not just listen to what leaders say, but to look at what they do. Examples of the impact that leaders have, for better or worse, are everywhere. They're here in the scripture, they're in our churches, they're in government, in business, in schools, in homes. The world needs more leaders 
who are leading well. And so I want to hit pause right now to say thank you. Thank you to all of you leaders who have signed up to be a part of the Global Leadership Summit right in this room this week. I am so excited to learn alongside of you about how we can be better and more God-honoring leaders because the world needs that. All right, let's go back to the backstory. We're still in chapter eight here, working our way back to um, chapter nine. This is still um, in the, in the uh, Gideon narrative. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. All right, this is how chapter eight ends. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and they whored after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done for Israel. Okay, so this brings us back. That's the end of chapter eight. This brings us back to chapter nine. Now let's read all of verse one and verse two. Now Abimelech, son of Jerubal, went to Sheshem up to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Sheshem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jerubal should rule over you or one rule over you? Remember also, I am your bone and your flesh. All right. So far, what happened previous to this is every time that God calls a leader, a judge, it's God who calls them. They don't call themselves. Other people don't call them. What's different here? Abimelech is calling himself to be the ruler, to be the king. This is a power graph, and it's a violent one too. Let's look at verses three through four next year. All right, three through four. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Sheshem, and their hearts were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, ah, oh, he's our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. All right, we need to unpack this too. Put some context around it. All right, the events that we're reading about here, they take place in a place called Sheshem. It is a real place. Archaeologists have found and identified what they call the Tell, this big mound where all the ruins are underneath. And they found it. it's about 35, 35 miles north of Jerusalem. And this site is rich in history. This is the place, Sheshem, where, where we're reading about right now. This is the place where centuries before God had appeared to Abram and reinstated this covenant with Abram. This is a place where Abram built, I believe, the first altar that Abram ever built in the promised land. He built right there at that site. This is the place where centuries earlier, Joshua said, right there on that spot, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's what has happened in the passage, Sheshem. What's happening now? Right there. It is home for a shrine for Baal Berith. You know what that name means? That name means Baal of the Covenant. It's a place here now where people are funding with money from this treasury. They're funding a violent power grab by a man who's got to hire thugs because the Spirit of God is not working through him. All right, and it gets worse. It gets worse from there. Listen to this. Here's an abbreviated version of verses three through six. And Abimelech went to his father's house and he killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubal, 70 men on one stone. 
But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Sheshem came together, and they went and they made Abimelech king. How many of you are getting tired of people saying, hey, politics have never been this bad. Politics, this is unprecedented times. Are these unprecedented times? No. Have things been worse? Yes. And one of the things we have in scripture is we have these examples and principles and guidelines that can help us navigate times like this. I don't want to minimize the division we see around, but I want to make sure that we remember that we've got time-tested, God-inspired teaching that we can draw from. All right. Well, at this point in Judges, where we are right now, we're about halfway through this book. And the author of Judges, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's using history right now to demonstrate that when you reject God's guidance, when you do what's right in your own eyes or you go along with the crowd around you, things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. The epilogue to the story of Gideon, what we're reading right now, it is so different than what we've seen so far. Let's turn to Judges chapter 9, verses 22 through 23. Look what it says. Abimelech ruled Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Sheshem. And the leaders of Sheshem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Did you catch what happened there? In the past, God had sent the Holy Spirit on a leader, and that leader united the people against the common enemy. What happens here? God actually sends an evil spirit which causes division between the person who said crown me and the people who crowned him. And instead of rescuing God's people from external invaders, now Abimelech leads people into a bloody civil war. The rebellion against Abimelech, it led to a killing spree. Only this wasn't a killing spree that stopped with the would-be insurrectionists. It also led to killing of workers in a field and the slaughter didn't stop there. Next, Abimelech turns his attention to the city that crowned him king. And as he came towards that city, a thousand people fled into a stronghold, into a tower, men and, and women. And this happened, verses 48 through 49. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman and he and all his people there were with him. And Abimelech took an ax in his hand and he cut down a bundle of brushwood and he took it up and he laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, as what you have seen me do, hurry, do as I have done. So every one of the people, they cut his bundle. They were following Abimelech. They put it against the stronghold and then they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Sheshem also died. A thousand men and women. Now this section, if we had more time, we'd unpack it. It is filled with wordplay. Remember how one of Abimelech's half-brothers survived when the 70 were killed? His name was Jotham. Well, Jotham, there's, before this, there's this little section where Jotham calls out the people and, and, and he calls a curse upon him. And then he tells this parable. Well, there's all kinds of wordplay here because that parable plays out just like he said it would in that parable. Well, one scholar looking at all this said, what we got going on here is a tidal wave of evil, he called it. And it's not over yet. Abimelech then turns his attention from this tower to another tower in another city. And he's about to burn the people alive there too. But as he's going in the process of doing that, a woman throws down this heavy stone. It hits him in the head. He realizes, Abimelech realizes, I'm not going to make it. 
And so this is what he says. This is how chapter nine closes out. Not with popping confetti and happiness like beginner's Bible. This is how it closes out. The epilogue to the story of Gideon. Look at this. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer. And he said to him, draw your sword and kill me. Lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he had committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Sheshem return on their heads and upon them the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubal. Was there more to the Gideon story than finding the beginner's Bible? Yeah. Beginner's Bible is great for young beginners. In fact, another topic for another time, and Sam, if you can hold me to this, another topic we got to come back to. Right now, young kids are being exposed to so many things that their young minds are not equipped for. And that is really dangerous for kids. So sometimes we got to circle back to that. But today what I want to do is, is with the little time we have left here, I want to focus like a laser on this. Let's learn what we can learn from a group of people who crowned a king who then turned around and burned them alive. Let's learn what we can from that. Let's apply that right now in this last minute or two here before we come together for a time of communion. All right? Now, I think one of the great ways to summarize all this is with a story that I came across that really mirrors this longer teaching that, that we just had. Here's the story. The story is about a, a family and they moved to a, a remote area where they were right on the edge of a jungle. And one day they came across this little, cute little leopard cub and it appeared to have been abandoned. And so they saw this cute little cub. It looked so harmless. They brought it into their home. And they started to raise it and nurture it and care for it. And as they did, it grew and grew and grew. Well, some people from the area who knew about leopards and knew about the jungle, they said, what are you doing? You got to get this thing back into the jungle before it gets too powerful for you to control. But they didn't listen. And what do you think happened when the little leopard became a big leopard? It turned on them. I wish right now we were in the same room, really bad. Please hear my heart on this. Don't let that happen to you. Or if it is happening right now, let God help you break free from this. We see this cycle over and over and over again in the book of Judges where, where people turn maybe just for a moment, but then they go right back to what they're doing. Don't let that happen to you. Let this be a moment where we identify right now what are those things that we've let into our lives? You know, maybe on a macro scale, maybe you have some buyer's remorse from different voting decisions you've made or when you've let leaders get into place. But let's just talk even on a more personal level than that. What are those things that you have let into your life that are going to come back to bite you? For example, the scripture talks a lot about lies and about gossip. When you let that into your life, that can come back to hurt you, can it? as well as hurting those around you. I think about friends and influencers. What does the scripture say? It says, poor companions ruin good character. When we let people into our lives, influencers into our lives, speaking into our lives and not keeping proper distance, it can bring us to a place where we let these people in that we later regret. Addictive substances, 
are a really big deal. I don't know anyone who ever took a first drink saying, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an alcoholic someday. I don't know anyone who, who began taking um, um, pain medication or a first hit you know, with, 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 with weed and says, oh yeah, someday I'm gonna be an addict. It starts small, but it can become really, really, really big. I mean, we could go do this all day. Parents, we, we have locks on our doors for a reason. We're careful about exposing our kids to strangers for a reason. But what do we do when we give them a device and we're not monitoring that? We're giving strangers access to direct access to our kids, often for more time during the day than anybody else. We're letting something come into our homes, into our lives, into the lives of our kids that can be really dangerous. Someday, we've got to go back to a discussion on pornography. It is ruining people's lives. It's ruining relationships. There is so much guilt. There is so much shame. There is so much pain associated with that. It's something that, that we think maybe isn't a big deal. It really can become a really, really big deal. And then get this, just um, this last week, I was reading about in California, I've got to fact check this. I've only seen it in one article so far. But if that article is telling the truth, then California is allowing men who are inmates to who identify as women there's a little screening process, but then they're able to go into a woman's prison. And this article, I'm reading these testimonies from the women in that prison who are saying, someone help us. Don't let this happen to us. Don't let men come and be here in our prison. Who's looking out for them? As people are, are, are taking something, interjecting it into a space without maybe thinking about the long-term repercussions. Let me give you one more example. One of the things that has our attention right now as a leadership team at this church is, is with our denomination. We, we, we love the covenant, but something that has our attention here is there's a, a growing number of pastors who say they agree with our stance about the Bible and, and what that means. And then they come into the covenant and then they are acting in ways contrary to that. We're even hearing a number of reports that's happening at our seminary. What impact does that have on the denomination over time when the leaders aren't aligned with what the scripture says? Well, one of the reasons that we offer communion at least once a month here at Emmanuel is because communion builds into the rhythm of our lives a time where we pause. Now, ideally, we should be doing this daily. But now at least once a month, we have a time where together we hit pause and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we were able to ask, Father, if there's anything in our lives where we are starting to drift from you, if we've let things in, Lord, help us to know what those are so that we can return to you now. So that instead of that circle going deeper and deeper and deeper, we can catch it early. And for those where maybe that circle has been going on a long, 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 long time, it's an opportunity to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and the power that's there and to be able to lay down your life, lay down your heart before him and ask for that God who loves you that much to come and help, to come and help. If you're new to our church, when we commemorate communion, we commemorate a real event, just like these were real events in Judges, this was a real event.
Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he gave given thanks, he broke it and gave us to disciples to eat, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. After he'd given thanks, he, he gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of this, all of you, in, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there is so much that the Bible doesn't say about communion. But one of the things it does say is that we should pause and reflect before we receive this sacrament. There's not a specific method. There's not a specific type of bread or wine, but it does say this. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty then concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I have an invitation for you this morning. We do as a church family, as your church family. Here it is. What if your king was also a savior? What if this day, what if right now, you were to say to God for the first time or for the first time again, God, today I receive you as my king. Once again, reveal to me where I am not in alignment with your good ways. And Lord, whatever it takes, help me to come back to you. So wherever you are, we invite you to pray with us. We're gonna pray some prayers together and we invite you to join us. And, and if you do that, then, then take, after you pray those prayers, take the bread, break off a piece. You know, take your grape juice, your wine, and remember that this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And as you do, don't worry about getting a ritual right. This is about relationship. So focus on that. So let's prepare ourselves right now for this holy moment. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we're sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which you're about to receive, but say the word and we'll be made clean. Father, I pray for my brothers, my sisters who are out there, whether it's something that seems small or something that seems so big that it would be impossible to break free from. Father, we pray that your hope, that your grace, that your greatness would be evident and that you would bring people back to you. And now, Father, we join our voices together and we pray a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.